0: Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists, and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help out with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite podcasting app, and I'm sure it will be yours too. So do yourself a favor. Download Himalaya today and be sure to follow Smart People Podcast once you're there. the podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an
2: awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever.
0: I wish I paid
2: more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. <laughs> As a man, I, just, I don't get it.
0: Welcome to
2: smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast. Conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Thank you for tuning in yet again for a terrific episode. I cannot wait to bring you this episode, and it is one you must listen to. But before you do, did you listen to the intro last time? Did you know that we have launched on Patreon? Head on over to Patreon.com slash Smart People Podcast and see all the cool stuff you can get if you support us on Patreon. And as an added incentive, I am going to give our first 50 Patrons a free book of their choice out of our list of over a hundred books from authors that we have interviewed and more. Patreon.com slash smart people podcast. Oh, and if you go there, you can see the video John and I just uploaded. Which is cool because we don't send out a lot of videos. And well, you can just watch it and make fun of us. Okay, on to the episode. Look, this episode is something that I really have been wanting to cover for a long time, and that is kids and social media. Now, look, I have a four year old and a one year old, so I'm not quite there yet, but I know it's coming quickly. And I gotta be honest, I'm terrified. I don't know what I'm supposed to teach my kids about social media. I don't know how to protect them from it, from the pitfalls, from the dangers, and really from the public embarrassment that can happen with one quick mistake. So that is why I reached out to one of the leading people in this space of what is called positive social media education. This week on the show, we have Laura Tierney. Laura is the founder and CEO of The Social Institute, and The Social Institute is an organization on a mission to empower 1 million students nationwide to navigate social media and technology in positive, healthy, and high-character ways. Before founding The Social Institute, Laura served as social media director at the award-winning advertising agency McKinney, leading social media strategy for national and international brands. So if you're a parent, if you're a teenager, if you're a mentor, even an uncle or aunt or a grandparent, this episode is something you have to listen to so that you can pass along just exactly how we can teach our young adults to not only survive the landscape of social media, but to thrive on it. And I'll tell you, Laura completely changed the way I look at social media and how to raise kids in the digital world. So I hope you enjoyed learning something new, expanding your mind, hearing perhaps an alternative opinion or idea, as opposed to all the fear-mongering we hear on the news as it relates to social media. Here it is, our interview with Laura Tierney, founder and CEO of The Social Institute. Enjoy. Well, first, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
2: Social media is seemingly becoming like a drug of choice, right? As as crazy and as apparent and as pervasive as vaping, which apparently is a big deal now, too. It seems like as an adult that these kids, they can't live without it, but it's only causing harm. That's, that's the, the scary portion. Mm-hmm. I know you don't agree with that because I know mm-hmm. what you do. But what would you say to those people, those parents who really only see social as something to try to survive?
1: It's certainly a challenge that lies at kids' fingertips if they have access to a family device or a a phone. And the same way that it could consume a child's attention, uh, it can also expose them to so many positive influences that, that helps their health, happiness, and success. Um, I I love the phrase, you know, kids can't be what they can't see. And so, and technology can expose them to many positive things that support them, but it can also expose them to many negative influences. And, you know, it's up to parents to help, uh, to help them, you know, guide them through using technology. You know,
2: I've never thought of that. And and that's why I want to have you on because you know, look, I'm a white male, right? Uh, it's, it's not, I don't have to look that hard mm-hmm. for role models. Right. Um, and that's just how it is. And I, I've understood that. And that's why I do the show to get other people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. And you're right that if you don't live in an area where you can see all of these positive influences, perhaps mm-hmm. that is a place where social can serve this really great, Hey, we're going to, we're going to try to magnify the people who look like you sound like you Enjoy the things you do and have also done it well. Sure. So it's a really positive portion of it I'd never thought of.
1: I, I work with students every month at, at schools across the country, and students, uh, kids embrace that positive approach. As a parent, if you can come in and, and see the positives, in addition to the negatives, of course, around technology, but if you can embrace uh, this new refreshing approach, I think you know, kids certainly open up, uh, open up, you know, to parents who can who can see both sides.
2: You mentioned how much they see the positive side. Mm-hmm. I don't know, as as somebody who look, I'm not in that space. My kids aren't in that space yet. All I hear is the negative. I hear be worried about this, this, this. You know, the depression, the the miscommunication or misconnections that we have. Tell us. Let's start then with some of the positives. What do you actually see in the real world that students are doing with social that is really beneficial for themselves and sure. society.
1: Do we have enough time?
2: <laughs> I, I don't, look, this is I'll shocking to me.
1: So. <laughs> well, no, I mean, obviously yeah. the the negatives make the headlines and, and rightfully so, they grab our attention every day. But, you know, for every uh, child that you maybe hear about tarnishing, you know, their reputation through social media, there's other students who are... Um, Strengthening their reputation and and representing their character um, by uh, by seniors in high school creating uh, thoughtful social media accounts and LinkedIn profiles. And for every student you hear, you know, who's cyberbullying another student there's others out there who you know i've met sixth graders who talk about how they have each other's backs online and they'll post things that lift up their fellow classmates rather than than put them down and and you know as much as we hear about notifications blowing up our kids' devices and capturing their attention during homework time there's also students out there who know how to thoughtfully turn on do not disturb on their phones, so that notifications aren't filling up their their screens. Um, you hear about students getting denied their college acceptance, like the ten students who got uh, their acceptance revoked from Harvard about a year ago, and in you know that same year, you saw again students who were including their YouTube links in their college application so that colleges could see their 360 selves. And um and so there's this world that doesn't get as much attention. It's a positive side. And it's a side that you're using social media to actually support your opportunities ahead of you that you're working so hard for. And and I, I think we need to shine more of a spotlight on that back to how are kids You know, how are kids supposed to be able to know how to navigate it positively if they don't see it on a regular basis?
2: You never hear that because that's not getting anyone to tune in to the five o'clock news. It's just not. Let's talk about how prevalent is social media these days. When does it begin? And then tell us what you see, how pervasive it is in their daily lives
1: sure well let's let's zoom out maybe start at the 50,000 foot view and we can work our, our way into those younger kids the latest uh, study uh, by common sense media showed that 95 percent of teenagers have access to a smartphone uh, today and in our studies uh, with schools across the country we find that you know fifth or sixth grade is the tipping point where over over half the class, over half the, the class or school has, has access to uh, and uses a smartphone. So to answer your question about fifth or sixth grade is when they're, they're owning a smartphone. And obviously, you know, kids are having access uh, to family devices, iPads, gaming consoles um, well before fifth grade.
2: Wow. My, my question is, you know, if, if fifth and sixth is where it's starting, is that a good thing or is there a benefit to prolonging it as long as possible?
1: What do you think?
2: Yeah, but that, that's why I love this interview, right? Because in my opinion, and, and we're going to talk about this, but my four year old, got into YouTube for a little bit and we kind of just said, Nope. And, and he hasn't, he's, he's not old enough where he demands it yet. So that, that Mm -hmm. in our opinion, that's good. And I've just kind of taken that approach in a lot of things, right? Whether it be TV, whether it be sugar, um, whether it be any type of YouTube or social media or tablets, I'm going to prolong it as long as possible. And I've kind of thought about that as he gets older. that just the longer you push it out, the more mature they get, the less mistakes they're going to make. So that has been my default. But again, that's coming from a place of fear. And you are already starting to shift that paradigm for me.
1: Right? Well, one of the phrases I share with parents is, uh, you know, empower and equip, rather than scare and restrict. And although technology is is scary, uh, it could it could have a negative influence on our kids' lives. It's not going away anytime soon as much as maybe some people would like it to go away. It's not. It's here to stay. And how do we proactively you know, equip um, your, you know, our, our kids to use it positively? There's um, a best practice I like sharing with parents, which is this. You know, I, I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, I played at Duke, I played with Team USA, and I'm, I make a lot of uh, analogies maybe to the world mm-hmm. of, of gaming and sports. And one analogy I like making is practice before you go pro. And right now when we give our kids a phone and there's no settings or limitations on that phone, we're kind of throwing them into pro right away. You know, we're throwing them into the deep end of having to navigate this this world of technology. And, and we have to ease them into technology. There's a lot of milestones that even your four-year-old can take in the next, you know, few years to really ease into technology rather than embracing all of it and having no limitations immediately.
2: I remember going to college. And I remember my parents were pretty liberal meaning they they didn't restrict me from a lot of experiences and they did it right you know so okay look you're going to be off on your own in a year maybe when i was in high school so there's some things we're going to allow you to do so that you don't go to college and it's a whole different world and to be honest i i always say if my kids did the same things i did i would feel like i did a good job the reason i bring that up is because the same advice or the same tact that my parents used on me that I always thought was useful, I almost am contradicting when I'm talking about my son, right? I'm like, no, 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 hold it as long as possible. So again, kind of shining this light on, there's a way to do it. There's a way to ease them into it. And of course, if we want to talk sports, I mean, we can make the show five hours. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's my life. Um, and and I love how you integrate that as well, that pro versus let's practice a little bit.
1: Obviously, you know, your your analogy of, you know, your, your parents... Uh, wanting to, they, they trusted you by the time you went to college, you know, by the time a student, you know, is, is graduating high school, they should be equipped to balance this because they're going to have unlimited access to it, you know, right in college. Um, there's some parents out there. Have you heard of Chris, have you heard of the wait till eighth movement? No, it's this movement that parents are there's a, a large bandwagon on uh, out there of parents waiting till eighth grade until you give your child a phone and there's no right or wrong to that just like there's no right or wrong answer to when is the right time to give your child a phone the, maybe the the best way to though answer that question is have you eased them into technology so that they they are, you know, responsible and they understand the standards of your own family rather than just giving them a phone in eighth grade because you're obeying the wait till eighth movement, really easing them in um, through you know, different milestones that you could have.
2: I am aware of the battles, I think, that social media and, and phones and all that are going to bring for me as a parent. But I, I've actually I mean, I've. I've got bigger things to worry about. I'm just trying to sleep for like six straight hours a night, you know, with a 10 month old. Um, But but to your point, if I can see you you wait till eighth grade, the kids like I just got to get to eighth grade. I just got to get there. They get it. They get their phone. They go nuts. Right. They put everything out there. They have no restrictions. They have never practiced. They or on the flip side, which might even be worse. They figure out a way to do it anyways. So they're using their friends' phones and they're you know doing it behind your back. So I, I could see the same approach that parents know about a lot of things, easing kids into. I don't hear a lot about that when it comes to social. And that's why I'm glad that you're bringing it up for us. What I wanna do, you mentioned a little bit about yourself, a world-class athlete at Duke. You are now the this, this CEO of this company. Tell us a little bit about your background um, And what brought you to essentially being this voice for the positive movement of social media?
1: Well, it, it started, I guess, being in the shoes of a student, uh, myself, and understanding this problem firsthand. I was 13 years old when I got my first phone. And although it's not as fancy as some of the devices we have today, uh, it did connect me with my friends. And, you know, growing up, then uh, social media came out as I was getting to, you know, recruited to Duke, um, while I was playing at Duke, um, you know, became a, a four-time All-American there, Duke athlete of the decade for field hockey. But an important part of this story is that. Um, Brand accounts started to take off on social media. So I ended up starting an account for Duke Athletics, um, which kind of led me to working in social media then for 10 years for companies like ESPN uh, and ESPNW, Nike, Disney, and others. And then during that time, started carving out vacation days from my full-time job uh, because I, I kept seeing and hearing all these negative stories about kids stepping on landmines that I fortunately, you know, did not, did not step on. And, and I, I just felt like kids were navigating this world without a real coach in their corner. Um, you had parents constantly saying, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And no one was teaching these kids what to do in different situations. You know, it's easy to just say, well, don't send a nude photo if your crush asks you for one but then you had these uh-huh. kids being like well what should i do in that in that moment of being peer pressured to do something like that and so um one thing led to another and you know a few years ago started this work i i now work with schools across the country i i meet with with students and you know do sp- provide speeches and this gamified curriculum where kids could learn about positive social media use on a daily basis. And I mean, man, it's a, it's a labor of love. And, you know, it's, it's so much, I really enjoy huddling with, with the kids and um, just learning so much insight. I I really enjoy treating them as the experts on technology rather than lecturing them. You know, how do you brainstorm Uh solutions with them? And, uh, it's a job that doesn't feel like a job.
0: And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Wix. Get started today for free at Wix.com smart and apply the offer code smart at checkout to get 10% off when upgrading to premium. Again, that's Wix.com smart and apply offer code smart to get 10% off when upgrading to premium. All right, so check it out. I've built websites in the past. I've built them from the ground up. I've used different platforms out there. But I have to say that I am having an absolute blast using Wix to create our new Smart People Podcast website. I haven't published it yet, but I'll give you a little info about it. So I'm creating smartpeoplebook.club. And the idea of the site is we talk to tons of authors on the show that have amazing books. So we just want to promote those books and put those books out to the listeners so that you all can check out all the amazing knowledge that we've had on the show. But like I said, I've been having an absolute blast building this site. So when I first started, I chose a design from something that I liked, and then I just started clicking around on the page and making it my own. The flexibility is amazing, and I have total creative freedom. I can't wait to put it out there for you all. And I'm already blown away by how professional and amazing it looks with just how little time I've put into it. Okay, so that's enough about the process. I'll let you know when it's live. But as a reminder, you can get started today for free at Wix.com slash smart and apply the code smart at checkout to get 10% off when upgrading to premium. And now back to the episode.
2: Yeah, and thank you for that. I mean, because you do have a really incredible background. It's not just, I feel like, and I'm a little bit jaded having worked in marketing for a while, but you get inundated with this, oh, I'm a social media expert because I'm under the age of 32 or whatever. And it's like, that's not that's not the criteria, guys. Let's, let's set the bar a little higher. But you, I mean, you worked for, what was the company? I think it was uh, McKinney, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so really leading social media strategy for some of the biggest brands in the world and then ESPN again, you know, so understanding the landscape, I think does give you this unique background. And I just wanted to make sure Everyone was aware of that. The other thing that, that is a trigger for me, and you mentioned it, and I, I I really wanted to cover it on the show, but it's such a scary topic for me is you, you talked about how kids are probably mostly girls sending nude pictures. And that to me is like the most terrifying thing for a parent, I would imagine. And, and, Look, I mean maybe it's just from a guy's perspective. I have boys, there is a different there's just a different playing field, I think, when it comes to this. But like talk about one of the things that could just look, is it going to ruin your life in the in the great scheme? Maybe not, but on the individual level, it could absolutely ruin your life. It could ruin your emotional stability, it could ruin your self-image. Is that something that is getting talked about enough? Are there strategies out there that you are directly addressing as it relates to these kinds of questions?
1: No, I, I appreciate you bringing it up because it is such a, a man, such a, a relevant topic with students. Um, on average, when we interview, when we surveyed high schoolers, we found that sixty-three percent of students know someone who has sent you know, a, an explicit and nude photo to someone else. And 44, 44% of students received a photo uh, like that that they haven't asked for, you know, an unsolicited photo that, that arrived on their phone. And, wow. uh, and, and those are, um, you know, the, the stats for, for high school students. And we're seeing, of course, those numbers uh, a little bit lower, but it's definitely relevant for middle school students as well.
2: That is that is, I just I can't like I was not even a functioning human in middle school like I mean
1: I, I you're a child yeah well I know you mentioned earlier you know the the gamification and that that was something that uh, an insight that we unlocked a few years ago we're like man just social media is fun and so learning to navigate this world should also be fun. So we started gamifying these lessons for for kids. And Mm. so one of the lessons that we gamify, you know, and if you'd like, we can, we can run a little game right now, if that Let's works we, it. It that be, awesome. Be around this game, uh, this, uh, this topic. Um, one uh, lesson that we have for students, we call them social sprints and what they are, they're real life scenarios about social media. I'm going to give you a scenario, Chris, and oh, I need, I need you to share which positive move you would make in this scenario. Because again, even when you're asked for an inappropriate photo, there's always positive moves that you could make. So here we go. Really, I am really nervous about this. Okay. okay. No, all right, no wrong it. answers. I'll give you all <laughs> the right answers. You just have to lock in on one. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Okay. So here we go. So the situation is you're in middle school And you're in eighth grade and your crush sends you a message on Snapchat asking for an inappropriate photo of yourself. They promise you, like they always do, that they're not going to screenshot it and that they'll let it disappear. Uh, And you're, you're in eighth grade and this is your crush. And they're asking for this. What move would you make? Here we go. There's four of them, all okay. submitted by students. Okay. Would you, move number one, reply with something about how you don't send pictures like that because you're just too good for that? Number two, would you send a funny meme shutting it down? And I'm sure you could think of some good memes to mm-hmm. send back. Would Number three, uh, would you block them? Or number four, like one student in Atlanta uh, said, would you simply find a new crush? Wow. Which yeah. So
2: first of all, good for the folks that submitted those, because like you said, they're all pretty good. Here's what I will tell you. Um, as an adult now, <laughs> I I know what I would do and it would be A for me, right? So I would just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of too good for that. And the reason is because having gone through relationships, I realized that also the, uh, the positive outcomes of kind of playing that game might go. Um, but- as an eighth grader, I, I, I cannot speak for, for that, but, but right now I would choose A.
1: Okay. And I think that's the, that's the point. What you just mentioned is that different kids have different personalities. Some are more direct. Others are more indirect. Some are extroverted. Some are introverted. Uh, some don't feel the confidence to speak up and say something. And I think what every, every child needs to know is that there are always positive moves that you could make. When you're in any situation on social media, you always have the choice to make a positive move. And as a parent, you know, we might say, just don't send it. Whatever you do, don't (laughs) send it. Don't, don't, don't. And notice none of those answers, you know, started with don't. It was all here's what you could do if you're in a, a spot like that. My dad, I remember, ran something like this for me when I was in. High school, he'd drop me off at school in the morning and he would run these hypothetical scenarios. Now, not exactly this one, but it always just challenged me to proactively think about something before maybe I was in that scenario. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I, I think if parents can start running these, sprints, whether it's in the car as you're dropping your child off for school in the morning and you know your child best so you can adjust them to whatever scenarios they might you know, have to navigate, but challenging them to coach up and coach you on what they would positively do is a, a new way of looking at social media education. It's not you always educating your child. It's them actually educating you.
2: Laura, I got to tell you, I think that's so brilliant, so innovative, so incredible. And that's why your organization is is really getting these headlines and, and succeeding. Because even as I went through that exercise, I feel and again, as an adult, I don't have to worry about this stuff. I don't even think about it. But you know, okay, I'm gonna give you this scenario. And first thought pops in, don't screw up. And then when you provided them, all of a sudden it went from like don't screw up to like, wow, those are four really good ideas. It wasn't a forceful thing because we know what kids are going to do when you force something upon them they're going to rebel against it it was just a here's four really cool things they match multiple personalities take whichever one run with it and if you do that the outcomes will be better it's it's such a a positive way to create positive outcomes and positive experiences
1: yeah well well th- you know thank you for those comments i i you know, applaud the students because uh, they, they have really leaned in with us to help make this, you know, possible. Um, you have students collaborating every week on sprints like that. And I think, you know, the more we can get on a child's level and rather than looking down at them and lecturing them, the more that we can get on their level and, and speak their language, I think the, the more they're going to listen and open up and you're just going to have a trusting a trusting relationship with our kids. And, and that's what all of us parents want. So
2: absolutely. And, you know, one thing I really want to cover on this because there are so many parents out there and there are so many in my shoes that are going to have kids in this age. I don't think we realize what it's like to be, you know, 10, 12, 14, 17 today. So I would like to learn from you. What is a day in the life of these kids? Like, how do they see digital and social interact in their world?
1: Social media is simply how students are social (laughs) today. You could chop off that second word media and it's almost like how they breathe. You know, it's for us, it's like going to the mall on a Friday night with friends and social media is that new mall that students want to show up to and, and, and connect with their friends and, and follow others, you know, that they admire. And so it's, um, it obviously varies you know for the age of a student but it's A child wakes up in the morning, and they might have their phone charged downstairs in the kitchen, or they might have it charging next to their bedroom, and it already has messages, you know, filled on it of maybe people who are texting them late the night before, and it's you know before they get to school, they're they're watching YouTube videos on the bus that they got notifications for from their favorite YouTube influencer uh, that they subscribe to, so you know when a video is going to be posted, and you see if you send it to your other friends who might not have seen it and they reply back, you know, that I've already seen it and check out these other five videos. Um, And, you know, it's getting texts from your mom during the day when you're at school taking a quiz and you have an, you feel an urgency to get back to that message because it's your mom and you, you maybe don't understand that you could actually wait a few minutes. You don't have to get back to her right away. Um, After school, you know, you see posts shared by classmates that, you know, might be passive aggressive, you know, and you just got to brush them off, you know, and then it's, you know, a group text in the evening when you're working on homework and you're collaborating on homework through a group text and your parent is rolling their eyes, you know, thinking, man, they, they have it all wrong. Look at them just constantly on their devices. And meanwhile, you're trying to get your homework done and you're just chatting with friends, you know, just digitally rather than in person. Um, and it's just, I think, balancing so much. There's just so many emotions and being a kid today with technology. But, but hear me out. I mean, this, out of three years of working with kids and, and parents, there is one big takeaway I had is that the kids are better off than we think they are. <laughs> and good, I I, good. I think if we can lean into that idea that if we can meet them on their level and not talk down to them, but maybe even talk up to them and, in, you know, treat them like experts, but, you know, empower them to, to use this positively. Uh, I, I, I think, um, I think we're going to be all right with social media being around 10 years from now and our kids growing up with this.
2: (laughs) Well, again, that that positive message is it's just something I kind of needed. And I think others do, too, because the other thing I hear often is we hear that social media is destroying younger people's ability to communicate in person. And look, I'm not in schools every day, but you are. How much truth is there to that? Are, are they really losing a lot of these what I would consider necessary skills of communication, of talking, of conflict resolution, of sharing emotions to your face, of reading social situations and and facial expressions? Or is that, again, just a fear tactic used in the old school media?
1: No, you. I mean, you're definitely hitting on something. I love the phrase, you know, don't replace the face and. And facial expressions, even you know for little eight month olds, are, are so powerful. Uh, and it, it is important. I find that more and more schools are really investing in social emotional learning and teaching kids the social skills of looking people in the eye. And I mean, I, I mean knowing when to take something away from a group text and instead talk to someone in person. And I think us adults are learning that too, you know, when to take something off email and, uh, and talk to someone face-to-face. Um, but I, I do, devices certainly can be addicting, you know, dopamine, notifi- dopamine firing every time we have notifications blowing up our screen. So again, without proper education, this will consume our kids' lives in a negative way. Um, we have to, through the schools and through, you know, families, educate, you know, these, these kids of, of when to put the device away. We, we call it eyes up versus eyes down. There's certain times Mm. you got to have eyes up and there's certain times you got to talk to someone face to face. And there's other times where you can have your eyes down and send something through a device.
2: Okay, good. So, so there is some truth to that, but it's something to work on and utilize balance. It sounds like kind of transitioning over to the social Institute the organization you run. We've touched on it, this gamification, but give us a little bit more cuz even when I went on and learned about it, I was I I mean I get it, but I'm still going how does this get implemented? If I'm a parent, how does this help? So, give us kind of the pitch on what it is and why you really stood this organization
1: up. So, our our team at the Social Institute, we are on a mission to Help one million students navigate social media in in positive and high character ways, and in order to do that, um, we're our north stars helping students, and in order to do that, we we partner with two important. Um, groups of people. One is that we partner with schools across the country providing um, presentations and an ongoing gamified curriculum that they weave into homeroom or advisory or, or health class so that all kids uh, can play and learn about social media in a really fun way you know, digital way where they have their devices and they they play on their devices. Um, So the the students really enjoy that. And then the second group we partner with um, are uh, our parents and we provide parents with with resources so you can understand how to ease your child into technology. But it's it's about equipping students and their role models and role models certainly include parents.
0: And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Listen up, Chris and I, well, we don't know how to do a lot of things. So we're constantly trying to learn and what better way to learn than by using Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. You'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. Take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, or even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. So one of the things that I wanna get better at is email marketing. So I jumped on Skillshare, typed in email marketing, and there's more than 3,000 results. And instantly, I already see one that jumps out. Email marketing essentials, writing effective emails. I'm saving this now, and I am definitely watching it this week. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Smart People Podcast listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash SPP. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash SPP to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash SPP. And now back to the episode. So tell us how can a, can a parent utilize
2: this or is it solely kind of at the school level at this point?
1: it's um primarily at the school level so when we work with a school we provide students with education we provide parents with education and then we we educate the faculty members as well and so if if you're a parent and you know, this positive approach really resonates with you. One thing we've been sharing is to, you know, coach up and reach out to your know, leadership at your school and ask them what they're doing about social media education and um, if there's any way our team could be helpful. We'd certainly love to talk with the the leadership at their school. Um, so many of our partnerships have been sparked by parents at the school reaching out to the principal or assistant principal or counselor. Um, And they're certainly, you know, a big champion of this work.
2: Let's get into some of the things that are specific, right? So you've been running this organization. You've kind of added the gamification and everything. What are some of the specific things that you've seen work uh, that have come out of the Social Institute?
1: We we've seen students um, be in in social situations where uh, they instead of instead of making you know a negative choice, instead they're actually. Um, they're, they're huddling with uh, parents um, or adults, you know, at the school, uh, faculty members to call out different situations. Um, we've seen students uh, creating thoughtful LinkedIn profiles so that uh, they can reach out to mentors, you know, that they really admire, you know, junior, senior year in high school. Um, and I think, you know, there's so many students who have come up to us and just said, like, thank you, like, So many speakers now come in and just lecture us on all the negatives, like, thank you for seeing the positives and for seeing this other side of this. So I think the light bulb goes off in their heads when you, you know, share this positive approach with them and, um, you know, socially and emotionally, um, you're, you're, you're moving, you know, you're moving the needle on, um, on the choices that they could make each day with a device in their hand.
2: Let's talk a little bit more about the gamification piece. I think it's And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, have, has it been dubbed hashtag win at social?
1: That's right. That's the name of the game okay. is called, called win at social.
2: How do you win at social? Right? Because this is what, again, it took me a little while really trying to wrap my brain around it because I'm going, I don't understand. Like social media is the various platforms. You've got your Facebooks and your Snapchats and your Instas and all this. Uh, how is it a game? Why do people care, right? What, What are they getting from it? I just couldn't quite get it.
1: We believe social media is the biggest game in the world. And it's a game that you could win or lose, just like any other game that you've ever played growing up. And on the losing side, you hear a lot about the losing side. It's a side where you can Tarnish your reputation, or cyberbully others, or um, get denied your college acceptance because of a post that you shared, or become addicted to your device and the notifications that it's constantly firing. Um, but rather than just coaching students not to lose, we coach them to win. And this idea that the winning side is where you make high character choices. You know, you share rep- what represents your character. You have each other's backs online, even in the face of, of cyberbullying. Um, you know how to balance technology thoughtfully, when to have those moments of eyes down and when more importantly to have those moments of eyes up. Um, kids can't be what they can't see. And so we have to show them more of these winning you know, positive choices that you could make every day, and so we we gamify the whole curriculum. Um, students are playing with their peers; um, they're learning from positive role models out in the real world, like a middle school student is learning from a high school senior about how to make different decisions, and. And I'll tell you, like those middle schoolers, they hang on every word, you know, that those high school students have to say. So um, that was
2: the first thing I thought of when you said that. I was like, brilliant. That's really a great way to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, one of our core principles is positive role modeling. Um, That certainly starts with parents, but it includes older students as well. Um, You know, I remember meeting with a group of middle school students and I asked them, all right, who do you guys want to learn from when it comes to social media? And, and keep in mind, like I just presented to them earlier in the day and, uh, and, and they were just like, they're like, well, like if we were to have advice from anyone, like we would really want to hear from those high school students, like people who were just in our shoes, you Mm -hmm. know, a few years ago. And so, um, yeah. So we, we, we put all these different scenarios in, in, in front of students, all relevant scenarios, and they have to navigate what they would positively do. And they sort of learn by not us lecturing them, by, but by just playing the game. Right. One of the things you're
2: really clear on or you're opinionated on is some of the things we also are doing now that we shouldn't be doing. Some of the ways we're trying to shape their social behaviors that are not working. And one is this idea, you have an an article, I think, coming out soon called Stop Teaching Kids to Be Good Digital Citizens. Tell us what you mean when you're saying that's not the solution.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, even the phrase digital citizenship is sort of like like if you were taking a, 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 driving course as a 16 year old be saying like, well, you're about to do some, you know, automobile navigation class, you know, and, you're <laughs> and, and you'd be like, you'd be sitting there like, what, what am I, what am I about to do? Uh, and, and to students, it's no different. You say digital citizenship and it, it It doesn't relate to them at all. Like, it's just citizenship. It's just their world. And we have to stop putting digital in front of everything we do, like a, a digital footprint. Like, no, that's just your character. And if I Google search you, what shows up is a representation of your character. It's not a separate footprint of your real self and and so while we we've certainly had good intentions you know the past 10 years of trying to teach kids to be good digital citizens but but I think now this is this is simply just health and wellness and social education and giving kids the social skills to thrive today rather than digital citizenship in all the time you
2: spend in schools what do you hear kids say that they wish their parents knew that they wish the world knew about them and their experience, not just with technology, but just in 2019.
1: I hear it so often. I hear students uh, say, countless students say, I wish parents realized social media is not all that bad. It's not all bad. And it goes back to this idea rather than only seeing it as a negative, you know, how can we as parents embrace it. It's not going away. And, and the students are right. It's it's not all bad. There's a lot of positives to it. And um, for us to see that through through a kid's eyes,
2: you've definitely helped shift the way I see it, the way I plan on going about it. But one thing I still don't know is, and I think it's a million dollar question. Despite all this, how much should I still stick to this belief? Like I'm the parent. And because I bought you the phone, I own the phone. Things like find my iPhone, literally tracking them. How much should we be watching them? And in some instances, what would almost seem like spying on them?
1: I mean, three three words come to mind, which is um, huddle, don't helicopter Um, in a world where we have so many tools at our disposal to helicopter our kids and spy on them. It only chips away trust with with. With uh, as in our relationship with our kids, if we start huddling with them more, we can huddle about the values of our family, the the standards that our family has around technology. We don't use devices at certain times, like at the family dinner table or in the morning when we're getting ready for school. Um, There's certain standards that we can continue huddling with our kids around. We can involve them in developing the standards like challenging your child to think about, well, what are some times that everyone should put their devices away, not just the kids, but the parents as well? And, um, And I think when kids create those standards with their parent or their parents, you have their buy-in on their on those standards. and so we're big we're big believers in having family standards around technology, no matter how old your child is. you know, they could be four years old, they could be eight years old, they could be eighteen years old. So huddle, huddle, don't helicopter.
2: <laughs> I love it. Well, and speaking of parenting and huddling and all that, you know, we talked about you, you are a parent, and I'm sure you have thought of the guidelines you are either currently or will be. Uh, putting in place as the resident expert, I think it'd be great. Do you have any kind of hard and fast rules that you think, look, yes, things are situational, but what I've seen and what I've learned, here's some things you should always be doing as a parent. Anything that we, we kind of know either research or experience shows this is the better way to handle it.
1: As a a hard and fast rule, you know, our family has followed the um, American Association of Pediatrics, you know, recommendation of uh, no screen, you know, it's no screen time under the age of two, and that and that said, it, it's hard at times. I get it, as I totally get it as a parent. <laughs> yeah. It's easy, it's easy to turn on the the TV and simply have them watch a movie. But I think generally speaking, there'll be times they'll be in the room, but we're not just plopping them plopping them down and then going to the other room to work on something. Um, if uh, you know my son watches uh, watches a movie uh, now, we'll we'll watch it with him um so you'll you'll sit by him rather than just letting him be in the room on his on his own so you're sort of co-watching together um, we uh, you know there's times at after work you're just putting your devices away you're charging it in the kitchen you know rather than having it out and just floating around so that they could see you looking at your email um again nothing replaces the face <laughs> but, um especially with those little ones so mm-hmm. those are a couple standards um, that we have. I know every family is different. People have different situations and commitments, um, but those are some standards we have.
2: What about for those in you know, middle school, high school, in the thick of it? Uh, any, anything you've seen really work well in your experience?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've I've seen uh, parents of especially middle school students and younger using, you know, easing their kids into technology where they would have a family device first, then maybe a smartphone of their own. And the parents would use the tool Ask to Buy. Are you familiar with that tool?
2: No. See, these are the things we need. <laughs> so
1: ask to, <laughs> ask to Buy is a feature um, with uh, through the iPhone, through Apple and the family sharing plan. It's free where you, your child has to ask to, to download uh, certain apps that they want. They can't just download them easily. Or even if they know your password, you, you have to approve it on your phone. So um, I've seen that, you know, which is a nice checkpoint. It's a catalyst for conversation if a child wants a certain app. Um, I've seen, um, you know, parents have tools where they could you know, they can restrict the Wi-Fi in their house if they really needed to and, you know, to take it to that level. So the child, you know, you, you can't just browse YouTube while doing homework. You know, th- there is a balance to it. Um, and then I've, I've seen parents, you know, all live up to the same standards as their ki- child is getting older. Yeah, you're the parent, but you're also a role model, you know, so there's some standards that the kid might have to live up to, but for you to role model that as well. And one of those might be you know, not sleeping with your phone next to your bedside table because, you know, it's it's tougher to get to sleep uh, if you're doing that. Um, and, I, you know, I'm probably one of the only millennials in North Carolina who has a landline and who doesn't sleep, who doesn't sleep next to their phone. But um, some of those little things, I think, go a long way in that sort of health, you know, of our kids today. So I love it. Well, Laura,
2: I I really appreciate the time. I appreciate the insight. I also appreciate your work that you're doing out in the schools and with the Social Institute. Before we let you go, tell us kind of what would you recommend we do? Where would we go? I mean, tell us your website, tell us places you think you guys are putting out good work that we should all be aware of. What are the action items our listeners can take uh, as it relates to your work?
1: Sure. So, two things. If you believe in, you know, in positive social media education, the first is um, to go to our website, the and send that link to, you know, your child's Leadership team at their school, the principal or assistant principal, and let them know this resonated with you. You know what's your what's our school doing about social media education, and that you believe in this approach. And then the second thing is we we are constantly you know huddling with students about new apps and trends. You know being at the cutting edge of social media. So you can sign up for our newsletter on our website, thesocialinstitute.com, and uh, and every so often, every other week, we'll we'll send you what we're hearing from students across the country.
0: And another episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura Tierney. You can find more about Laura and her work at thesocialinstitute.com. All right, so you know the drill, quick housekeeping. If you ever wanna reach out to Smart People Podcast, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you ever want to help out the show, just head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave the rating and review for the show. I know we hit on this a lot, but we greatly appreciate it. If you want to stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up, so we will see you all next episode.